part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. We're now in overtime. That is the second half of the program where we are online only. We are only online for this half of the show. We are free here of the shackles of the FCC. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, it's always a good time here in overtime. Uh, and, and like I said, we got some good stuff for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, got, got a really uh, it was a wild clip from <clears throat> the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. Uh about project labor agreements that I think everybody's going to enjoy. And, uh, oh, and uh, also Republicans uh, want to uh, eliminate free school lunch in many places. Lovely. So, you know, I mean, like actual <clears throat> actual comic book villain kind of stuff coming out of the Republicans. But okay, so uh, we do have a caller. We do have a caller on the line, right, Adam? We do. Let's. You want to go ahead and bring our mm-hmm. caller on the air? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right, and fingers crossed. Adam and works. Jacob. Hey! Adam is and this... Jacob, can you hear me? I can. You know who this is? I can. It's, is this... it's your good friend. This is Infinite Cotton. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. What's up, man? How do? Uh, oh, oh, so much, so much has been going on. Um, now, I have a, a roulette wheel. I can talk about, about five different stories right now. I will, <laughs> I will lay out uh, three. Now... For the first story, please go to your uh, the TVLR uh, Twitter inbox because this exactly shows the absolute fuckery. Um, because we're not on FCC mm-hmm. guidelines now, the fuckery that uh, that Republicans are about. There's a school district <clears throat> or some school in Alabama where there's yeah. camping um, on kids. I need money for school for mm-hmm. lunch. Do you all see that story? I did. Adam, did you see that? No. What, what's going on? Uh, look, look, look at this. Uh, please read the story. Yeah, the there's, it, um, it, it makes me. It makes you want to go ahead and whoop somebody's ass at that school. Several people's asses, but not having food money. Yeah, there's a. Uh, there's a school in Alabama and in Gardendale, the Gardendale okay. Elementary School, whenever the children, whenever their uh, lunch money account runs low, <laughs> they stamp their arms oh, no. with a smiley face and then the words under that saying, I need lunch money. Oh, Lord. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh! Wow, 
I haven't I'm heard surprised that. So that appreciate so, appreciate you tipping me uh, off about that. I, I, I'm telling you, as a parent, I would just go be so offended. I would have to go up to the school, and at least two people asses are getting kicked: the principal and the person who did the stamp. That's at the very minimal. That's wild. Uh, now, like I said, that's story one. Now mm-hmm. we you all covered out uh, some of the other stories, but. Uh, since we you all had your uh, a police rant, and I believe that you all know that I have a hard, hard and fast line. Cops ain't shit. Uh, they they are always act against labor actions. They always take force against labor actions, only act in their interest of themselves and the, that of capital. Mm-hmm. The, now, do you all, have you all been following anything about the East Cleveland Police Department? No. Like I, I think about. Oh my gosh! I think at least like two thirds of their department is under indictment. Wow. Federal <laughs> indictment. For what? Now, fuckery. Uh, general cop fuckery. Uh, assaulting people, beating people, all types of shit. They, mm. they, they are they're on their bullshit. But this is the cherry on the cherry because the cherry is. That the chief of the East Cleveland Police Department had to resign because he got hit with 11 uh, counts in a federal indictment. But then the other day, he got hit with 13 more counts. Wow. On top of all the BS, like he was um, <clears throat> he was trying to uh, pass bad checks. He was... Um, he was uh, he was documenting files and following fake reports, but he was also stealing from the police fund, from the police pension fund. Mm. Yeah, now, this is crazy. I'm seeing this story in uh, Cleveland.com. Uh, they have, they even, they're, they, they've worked <laughs> on a diet. You can't even get it out right. <laughs> 16 East Cleveland police officers. And there are only now two dozen officers remaining because so many have been indicted. Oh my gosh! They literally have to uh, rely on the Ohio State Patrol, yeah, state troopers to um, do policing. But if you see, like the I saw the press conference when they were getting indicted, it's like fifty-seven minutes, and all the shit that they were doing on while the body cams were on. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, uh, but, okay, but, but uh, no, you know, infinite content. Look, I don't think you're being fair. It's probably just, uh, you know, it's just a few bad apples. I don't know what your uh, no. what the issue is. Well, they're bad apples. The, the bad apples are the problem is that they're, they're getting from them from disease orchards all the time. Yeah, you know what the funny thing is about the saying that they pulled that that they pull that from the saying about bad apples is that they spoil the bunch. I mean, the people who talk about bad apples, like they're just so illiterate that they don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. They're like, I'm like, it's not bad apples. It's diseased orchards, raise the field and uh, grow a new crop. Mm. And there was a fascinating and interesting story where like, I believe this was in New York city where the police decided to let the community police themselves for like a a week or so. Uh Uh-huh. <clears throat> Crime went down. They got people got uh, some armed robberies not happen, and got people turned their guns in. And mm-hmm. it's like 
the solution to reducing crime is not increasing funding for police. It's increasing funding for social services. Because yeah, absolutely. And, and, you, and on that, um, the real news, and I don't know if you've seen this, Adam, or, may, oh, or maybe you have great content, but they have a uh, an exhaustive um, analysis of data from the Baltimore Police Department uh, showing how the department has had like there have been Increases there was in, one uh, year but, that, but there's but the crime has not decreased i right. I, I i i glanced at um i was going to ask kim brown to cover it but she's on uh break for the month of june so mm-hmm. i'm going to let her i'm give her her break and uh like i honestly i think i need to just do a podcast because i go. catch a whole lot of stories that a lot of people don't even uh mean May catch, but just don't have the time to cover because it's so much fuckery, so much fuckery. And can we talk about the? Can we make a quick pivot to uh, the economy? And uh, I don't know if I talked about this last week, but Ron DeSantis is literally tanking the economy of Florida mm. with his policies, his anti-immigrant policies, and all that. Who's going to – Americans don't want to do those jobs. Agriculture is a very hard field. Very, very, when I say very hard, I mean like they would – people would lay bricks then work in the fields. Your migrant labor force is critical and needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. And he has he's gotten things to the point where drivers don't want to even come into Florida. So now you got uh, and migrants are leaving Florida. So now you have no one working the fields, and you have no one uh, coming to pick up the uh, goods and services, right? Because of your uh, idiotic laws. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I think I've seen that, 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 that there was a lot of uh, a lot of immigrants like not coming to Florida anymore, um, or, or leaving Florida, and and that did, there were there that, was a lot of like uh, agriculture industry bosses that were like complaining to some Republican legislators about it. So <clears throat> Yeah, they're they're mad. It's like you it's like they're like you're fucking up you are fucking up the money. And that's one thing that you can't do. You can be cruel or vicious, but when you fuck up the money, mm-hmm. right. Okay, then uh they gotta get you out of there. Um uh, uh I I'm so I'm glad we're on off of FCC um airways because I had to say things in ways that need to be understood that aren't like, what do you mean by fuck up the money? You know what y'all know when you mess up somebody's money, they're going to come after you. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, I, now I, I know that I, I really hope some teamsters come on and I, yes, I did talk about what I think that we got Amazon for about two or three days just to spite them. It's fine and fair because, yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Uh-huh. I am I'm definitely of that opinion. I think that even if they get a great contract, I think that they should strike for a couple of days just to like say, you know, we can do this and see what it does. I think yeah, I think that's important yeah. to the the exercising of that strike muscle. I think is good for I think it's good for work. I hope the team should make their move into uh Philly. Yep. Yeah. If they do cuz I I I might uh, have to point them at a couple of warehouses that I might know that 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 possibly they might want to go ahead and um, 
talk to some of the individuals working there. Yeah, absolutely. With that said, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I mean, I'd love to see you all on Leftist Mafia. Do you all follow that show, or do you are you aware of that show? I'm aware of it. I don't really, I don't really watch it, but I'm aware of it. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, it, it's got Lance from the Serves, Mike Figueredo, mm-hmm. um, Matt Bender, Olay. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they bring us guests on most of the times. Oh, uh, David Dole from um, the Rational mm-hmm. National, and but. I think that every so often it's good to bring um, – it's great for a small platform to get on there. I'll, I'll go ahead and um, petition um, petition a couple of them, see if they can bring you all on, just uh, so you all can bring Southern Labor. Look, I, you all know I'm I, – I'm, Letter Hack has told me I'm one of the best uh, supporter for small left uh, – Commentate uh, mm. small small left programs on YouTube, yeah. and yeah, yeah. by the way, I'm going to ask Letterhack mm. to bring you all on so we can draw y'all. Um, now, y'all want to uh, go be back to back, or um, you want to be uh, just in your regular shirts, or how, how you all? Uh, uh, I'm fine. I'm, we, we'd be fine with whatever the you know they can they can just reach out to us and and, and we'll you know work out something. Be uh, you know be we'd be down yeah, but let me get off whoever. Yeah. But but that's it. I I know I've taken up way too much of your time because you all could possibly possibly call this show um, the Val the Valley Labor Report as moderated by Eminent Content today. Uh, <laughs> but let me get off the air and uh, jump on jump on the live stream again and let some other people get on. Thank you all for right. your time. Yeah. Uh, solidarity. Thanks for calling in, man. Solidarity. Appreciate you, Adam. We've got a we've got another caller on the line now, right? Uh, yes, we do. All right, so um, let's get our next caller on the line. And what's the area code? Uh, 818 area code. 818 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is uh, Lenny Powers from Southern California. Lenny from Southern California. What's on your mind? Hey, fellas. Um, Jacob, Adam, really appreciate the work you do. Um, Thank you. First and foremost. Um, I think in this uh, YouTube space, um, you know, I just want to comment on, you know, the space that we're occupying now. You know, a lot of people are, uh, you get uh, punditry and activism uh, quite a bit confused. Mm. Uh, also, um, there is a lot to say about what y'all do because, you know, you kind of intersect the you know, the action work with the, you know, the punditry, which is always nice. We kind of need like, um, you know, some outlets that, that blend the two uh, so that we could, you know, not just, you know, act out of catharsis, shout into the void, if you will, um, and really put some meaning behind our actions. So I appreciate, um, you know, you taking, you know, the emotional, you know, feelings that we all have and, you know, and, you know, and place them, you know, in, in, or, or, you know, putting them out there and then, you know, giving us out, let's actually, you know, make some effective change within our material conditions. So I wanted to say that first and foremost. Thank um, you. Appreciate my it. question. To you, yeah, not a problem. Um, my question to you is, um, you know, cause you know, in this, you know, in the landscape that we're in politically and, uh, you know, within our society, I mean, we're, you know, you know, we're, we're facing a lot of the pressures of, 
you know, late stage capitalism as, as it stands, um, you know, these companies, you know, trying to squeeze a profit out from every which way. And we all know that labor is the first, uh, you know, you know, first lane that they go to in order to, you know, extract these profits. And with the, with, with companies, large, you know, large companies and large organizations, um, you know, organizing within themselves to screw over labor. I mean, I find that, you know, labor right now is in a critical moment in order to organize effectively. And um, what you brought up, um, I believe, Jacob, with, uh, you know, uh, organizing online and getting some type of further knowledge into how to organize online, I think that's going to be crucial. But mm. where have all where have all the union halls gone? <laughs> you know, mm. uh, where, where have all the the face-to-face, belly-to-belly interaction with our fellow brothers and sisters in labor, you know, where, where have that gone? You know, I, I really do feel that, that that is something that is most important, you know, yeah. to make some time out of our days in order to, you know, meet with one another. Um, and to kind of give you a little bit of background about myself, uh, I'm, a, I'm currently active within my own union. I'm a public sector employee. I uh, work with, uh, I'm, I'm uh, part of the SEIU uh, union. Uh, and Are you in SEIU 1000? Uh, no, I'm. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't really feel comfortable. Uh, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you don't. You don't have to go any any further. I just know, like I've just seen read stories about SEIU 1000. There's some crazy stuff, and I'm I'm sure you know about it, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. You know, I'm I'm very I'm very critical from you know of my union from mm-hmm. you know from a leftist perspective. Um, I do see myself as a. I mean, I, I don't really give myself a label. I mean, I, I analyze mm-hmm. things through a Marxist lens, but. I can't help but to um, have uh, anarcho-syndicalist tendencies, if you will, hmm. um, because you know, for myself, I believe that that true revolution and true um, true advancement within um, for leftists uh, is going to come through labor, um, and the you know labor is going to be the tip of the spear, and um, you know, the more momentum that we get, it's going to be based on you know whose lives we touch um within you know within within the proletariat of our society it's it's you know we we have to gain we have to gain favor with 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 the mass populace in order to you know push through those you know those uh advancements for you know for working class folk and for you know poor and then house and so it's you know so you know back to Essentially, you know, my background. I mean, I, I went into my union looking at it as, as an opportunity to meet up with folk and, and and to get and to get people more active, more engaged. Um, but then found out that, you know, it it was mo- it was moving like more more so like a secret society or something that's like a little bit more. Um, you know, you kind of had to been you know invited into. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for me, I mean, I I got introduced to you know, labor, you know, through these leftist spaces, you know, online. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I got my own union. Let me go and see what I could do and get involved in. And yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm a little bit more critical because of the fact that, you know, it's just that there's there's not a whole lot there when it comes to um, building true community. So my question again is like, is, you know, how do we do that? You know, what what is it that we that we can do in order to, um, you know, get people to, uh, together um, more frequently, you know, get people you know, um, you know, doing like a, almost like if you, if you have like a, you know, your labor contract doing contract studies, you know, mm-hmm. similar to like almost like Bible, 
Bible studies on a, on yeah. a regular basis. So they, we kind of know our rights and, and how we can defend our rights and then, and then also build that community in order to, um, you know, successfully grow our, our numbers and then also, you know, grow, grow our power within society itself. Yeah. How, how do we do that? And I think that, um, one of Adam's first episodes of shop talk touches on a lot of that, how to get engaged as a new member. Um, and you know, I certainly understand being in an, uh, in a union that's pretty inactive and it is definitely really, um, it's really, uh, um, demobilizing when you kind of come up against stuff like that um and uh, you know the way that you would the way that i would recommend interacting with with a union like that is to um you know like not necessarily be overtly hostile because um i think that I think that in a lot of unions that have become kind of calcified and and inactive, it, it, it's not even that they're quote-unquote bad people, the people in leadership, or even that they have quote-unquote bad intentions. It's just like that's the way that it's been done, and so that's the way that they're going to do it. And even in unions like that, I would find, and you said that that you've you you know tried to get involved, and, and it was kind of like a secret society, and and maybe you had to have an invitation. So I don't know if this exactly applies, but in almost every union, even ones that are inactive, that are very inactive and don't activate their members, there is a lot of stuff to do. And if you come to meetings as an active member, as somebody willing to volunteer your time to the union, you'll get stuff, right? Like, I mean, I'm I'm a steward in my union, um, and my politics are like different than <laughs> a lot of the people, than a lot of the leadership in my union. But, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not in the closet, so to speak, about that. But, um, you know, I'm also not making enemies unnecessarily. And, and I try to, I, you know, I, I just make myself available to do the work. And, and I've built what I think is a pretty good relationship with some people who have uh, different politics and, and different visions of the union than I do. But and, and I do work. I, I do it consistently with my vision. And so maybe I do it a different way, but I do the work and they see that and they appreciate that. And, and so they're willing to give me more responsibilities. And 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 that gives you the ability to to build rapport, you know, with the the other leaders of the union so that you get you do get more responsibilities and so that maybe you can begin to enact change. But also, and really more importantly, with the membership and the rank and file. Because if if they see you going out and doing the job that I think we would probably agree the leadership ought to be doing or the leadership ought to be encouraging the rank and file to be doing, then they'll begin to trust you more and they'll begin to to um you know, and then if something happens where you feel like you do have to have like a, a kind of a dirty break with the uh, with the leadership and you do feel like you have to actively oppose them, then you've got a base of support in the rank and file that can uh, uh, that would be willing to support you um, in, in in that event. And, and you don't have to rely on kind of the good graces of the, of the leadership. And, and so, you know, I, that's, it, you know, um, just 
just trying to make yourself available and do anything that 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 needs to be done and talking to people um, is and that's something that that I have you know as outgoing as as I might seem on the radio I I do kind of have a bit of of shyness and anxiety around around talking to people that I don't know um, especially in the workplace and so it, that's something that doesn't come naturally to me and it, it, it's kind of difficult but it's something that we do need to work through and and, and building those human connections and uh, is is like you said it's really important I think that having in-person meetings especially at this point is really important for unions um and so is, is your union meeting in person or are they still meeting over zoom uh we do uh primarily zoom meetings um mm. but i've been uh, i i've uh, talked to uh, my worksite organizer and uh i've really um you know have been pushing the idea of uh, just having a happy hour for all of us yeah um, or even um or even uh a bowling night something mm-hmm. you know something that's uh that's going to allow us to, um, you know, to, 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 to come together in person. Uh, and it's funny that you say, you know, all that because, you know, I, I've been, uh, I, I went through uh, steward training, um, but then I got to a point in that steward training that I started realizing that, you know, what they're going to, you know, what, what would have been asked of me may have been a little bit too much within my capacity, especially when it comes to grievances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be a little bit emotional on my end, and I think I have to get that a little bit right. somewhat under control if I'm going to go through um, some type of, uh, you know, through, um, you know, through representing a fellow, you know, fellow worker yeah. within the grievance process. Process. So I find myself better on the organizing side, sure, um, sure. or primarily just, you know, or, organizing. Um, so yeah, I mean, within my own within my own workplace. Um, or within the duties that I have done within the union, I mean, I, I've been a part of um, new member orientations, getting yeah. uh, getting and new those members. Are, um, you know, those are super important. I, I just to you know just to applaud you for that because I mean, new employee orientations are probably you know bang for your buck like the most valuable thing that you can do in an, in thirty minutes. In any given thirty minutes, I don't know that you can do anything more valuable for your union than a new employee orientation. So that, uh, you know, I don't want you to like sell yourself short on that on like, Oh, I'm just doing new employee. Orientation. That's like super important. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, the way, the way that, uh, employees kind of, um, designated myself or see me within the workplace, they think that, you know, it's like that I work for the union hmm. they don't then, because I don't, they, because they haven't really, gra- you know, it's not a, you know, commonly grasped, uh, grasped co- a concept that like we are the union. Right. Um, and, you know, they see it as a, you know, as, as a third party within, within the relationship between us and uh, management. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's funny that in that, in that sense, because, you know, I, I you know, I've, I've been a part of those, uh, you know, those orientations and, and I like to, you know, keep, keep in touch, especially with the with new employees, because everybody knows that when you're in that, you know, that grace period between full employment and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote proba- probation, um, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of shenanigans could go on and, yeah. and things could be, you know, and, and an employee could be taken advantage of in that, in that, you know, in that vulnerable moment. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like to, you know, be, keeping constant communication with those new employees and then also, you know, getting them, getting them involved. I think that 
you know, when you when you get a person all jazzed up and, and motivated to 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 do something, but then there's no follow through, and they kind of just sit there yeah. and they're like, well, what what what's next? What else do I do? I mean, I, I you know, I, I'm paying these dues. I, you know, I'm, I I'm you know, I got the I got the you know the swag, and 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 now what? And mm-hmm. and you know, it's like you know, it's like planting seeds and, and tending to a harvest. You know, you gotta you gotta tend to those to those seeds in order to get you know to to you know to to be able to see the you know the, the tree grow and then and harvest the fruit and it's and that's what it is it's 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 about building relationships and 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 keep it and you know investing the time and and the and the attention within those relationships and then so when we ask of action from the from that individual they you know it's you know without hesitation it's you know they're 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 bought in they're you know they're they they see the value in it they see that they have support they see that they have people around them that you know want to you know protect them and and, and look out for their best interests so, so, and, and that's the thing, it's like, you know, we, we, we need more, like, I feel as if, and, and going back to the point about, you know, about the, you know, online activism versus like real life activism and real life organization within the material, within our world, within mm-hmm. the outside world. I mean, I think that, you know, if we're not, if we're not, you know, you know, and, and that's why, I mean, I, I commend your, your guys' program because, you, you give an insight on what you can do and what, what is, you know, what, what type of actions, what, what type of, I mean, I mean, I think it was the Ewok training that you just mentioned. I mean, I just signed up for Ewok right now. I mean, it's hmm. one of those things that, that you, like, you have to not just stop at the comment section. Hmm. You have to keep going. You have to go further than that. Right. And, and, and put, you know, put action, you know, out there so that we can make some effective change because, you know, I mean, I, I hate to say it, even in the in, in you know in the biggest comment section there maybe is uh, there there maybe are I mean like just because you're, you're you're tweeting something out or, or commenting mm-hmm. something I mean you're not really doing anything it feels like you're doing something right. I mean the, so, the social media has this engineered to, to think that our our engagements and our likes and all that it, it's some type of action but like who are you really influencing who I mean right. who, who's it that you're really like who, who are you satisfying but only yourself so. So I mean I, I I hate to digress, but you know the thing is is that is that like to 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 do effective action it, you know it, it takes getting out there and 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 putting you know putting you know you know putting yourself out there and and um and putting the rubber to the road and making sure that that you are engaging with you know with people and and I mean I, I and and like I said it's you know it. You know, for and I feel exactly what you're saying, Jacob. I mean, my thing is, is I call myself an uh, an intro. I'm naturally an introvert, introvert, but my work has caught, you know, has demanded of me to become an extrovert. So I'm naturally introverted, but but going out there and 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 knowing what the what what's at risk and what what what's to gain is so much important than my own personal comfort. Yeah. So that and that's why I do it. So yeah, I mean, I I, I think that you know you're absolutely right with. Um, with all you said and and uh I'll, I'll let you guys go now i mean i really appreciate you taking my call um, yeah appreciate you calling uh, in adam uh, did you have any any thoughts or, or anything before he jumps off no i just want to applaud you and and tell you to keep up the good work and continue doing what you're doing in terms of building relationships growing mm-hmm. your network of allies uh and i mean you sound i mean you sound young yeah. right so you you know you've got a long you know you've got a long career in the public sector hopefully and and a long career in your union and so you've got a lot of 
time. Yeah. Hopefully, Lord willing, you know, to 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 make change within your union and yeah. and to build those relationships. Yeah, and I would say persistence and and patience is very very important because uh, yeah. all of us, you know, on, in this conversation are very passionate and we. Uh, we were tired of waiting for progress, obviously, <laughs> but at yeah. the same time, we, you know, on a personal level, have to have that patience and persistence and, you know, just so, so move strategically, like Jacob said, move strategically in how you uh, proceed. Uh, don't make enemies before you have to make them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you're staying true to your values, some conflicts are going to pop up, and that's just yep. part of it. Uh, but we've I had, think we've had some conf- conflicts part. I mean, you know, like like within our unions, we're not, you know, we stay true to our values, but we we're not unnecessarily, you know, conflict oriented, and we right. do the same thing with the show. You know, we have different values than some union leaders here in Alabama. And for the most part, it doesn't pose an issue, but it has in the past. And so, you know, you just have to have to be willing to, you know, be willing for there to be a conflict if, if it if it must be, but also, yeah. you know, not going out and looking for it just because you feel like, and, that, and obviously not saying that you, it doesn't sound like you're doing that, but just for anybody else listening, uh, you know, uh, being... Having the right opinion, and I think this kind of goes along with your stuff about online activism, like being the most pure politically is like, that's not important. (laughs) I would much rather, yeah, I would would much rather have, if I could choose between two people and I could have somebody that's like exactly my politics, like to a T, they have the right opinions, according to me, but they're not really doing anything versus somebody that's like a lib. You know, somebody who's like, oh, I love Biden, I love Hillary Clinton, blah, 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 you know, all this. But they're like a steward in their union. They're uh, helping to save people's jobs. They're getting people activated. Like, that person is so much more valuable to even a left movement than is somebody who's, like, sitting on the couch with, like, you know, super great opinions. So Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I really no, appreciate I mean, your okay. call. And appreciate yeah. your your comments. You know, one, one last thing, Adam. I, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to thank you for all the labor history that you have, you've had, uh, you know, been highlighting. Um, there's so much uh, that, that that that's. I mean, I, I I because I'm you know relatively new to you know you know be, well just new as a leftist in, in general. I mean, I I think I was politically activated more, more so around the 2020 uh, election cycle, hmm. and. Um, and and history itself is uh, is is I find it to be you know highly important. I mean, if it, in a perfect world, um, you know, I would I would have been a history professor professor. Um, you know, obviously within our you know within our you know within the world now. I mean, it, you know, being a professor in general or being a, a teacher in general is you know that's that's very hard work considering you know compensation. So I, I wanted to just uh, thank you for all the labor history they've been highlighting. I appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for the man. call. Appreciate it. Yeah, and definitely um, uh, appreciate the shout out of the labor history. Glad some folks are yeah. enjoying that. Um, you know, and I think we're it's important be... that we have our heritage. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of folks in the South talk about their heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm one who believes we should know our heritage, and that is our heritage as working class people, as people uh, who are having to work for a living. And mm-hmm. who have had to struggle for a better life, and yeah. so um, 
Yeah, and we're going to be obviously continuing this the, the focus on, on labor history, particularly in Alabama. And I have recently kind of become really fascinated by the period of history in labor in Alabama from like the 1870s to the 1920s, um, when the Knights of Labor were active here in Alabama. Um, I think they were a really kind of, and, and their uh, alliances with the populist movements. Uh, I think that was really right. fascinating. Yeah, I just the bought back Labor Party. Yeah, and I, I just bought this book about the history of Alabama coal miners from 1878 to 1921, the challenge of interracial unionism. Um, so I'm excited to dig into this. And um, yeah, I've got an idea for like pitching a, a short, more highly produced um, documentary series about Alabama labor history that uh, we might be pitching to some some organizations, see if we can get some money for that. Maybe even Alabama Public Television. That would be super cool, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think there's some really great stories to tell. Uh, some wins, some losses, uh, but but definitely some interesting stories in Alabama's history. Uh, it's a very rich labor history that we have here in the yeah. state uh, and across the South, but you know, here in Alabama in particular. Got another caller. All right. All right, 843 area code. Where are you calling from? What's your name? You're on the air. This is uh, Strom in South Carolina. Awesome. Welcome Strom. back, Strom. Hey. What's You know, right? I've been trying to read. What's that? Oh, no, I was just going to say, what, uh, what's on your mind? Um, on that note about labor history, I know that Adam had asked, if I would do something on South Carolina labor history, and I've just been trying to reach y'all about that. I get okay. that this is an awkward way to try to reach y'all, but I've yeah, just, if you're, I if, sent an email. If, if you're interested, uh, because you're the first person I thought of when I thought of South Carolina, uh, and I've, you know, obviously we've been focusing on Alabama, but we're trying to get stories from, from across the South. So, yeah. Uh, I figured you would you would have some good insight there. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the Honeypath Massacre by chance? I'm not. So that's during the 1934 um, general textile strike that happened from Maine to Alabama, and it's where actually the director of the the owner of the textile mill, who was the town's mayor, deputized all of these people and they shot um, people who were trying this flying column that was trying to shut down production at the plant. A few plants had resumed uh, production with scabs and with people who were refusing to strike. And um, they came uh, to the mill and they actually tried to break in, but the um, deputized people shot and killed six and I believe wounded 20. It's uh yeah, and this happened during the Depression, and it mm-hmm. highlights, I recognize that y'all may not like this line, how Roosevelt was not a friend of labor at this time. He told people to basically stop striking, go back, that everything would be addressed, everybody would have their right to return to the workplace recognized, but obviously people got blacklisted, people were not let back in. And that just basically killed the UTW, especially mm-hmm. in the South. Um, yeah, no, if I y'all mean, would want me to do a piece of that, 
Yeah, we we would definitely be interested. And and you know about the the Roosevelt uh, comment, it doesn't make us unhappy at all. Um, you know, I think that we you know we we recognize that there were some gains in that administration, but by no means would we be an apologist, so to speak. Right, for, yeah, for that's kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah, best president in American history, and I think that's pretty easy to say, but the bar's pretty low, you know, so, you know, there were some good things, but there were also I some bad that, things. I think, and, well, yeah, and a hammer and hoe is a Abraham good... Lincoln, but... <laughs> do <what? laughs> oh, I think Abraham Lincoln, Do what? I think it's Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln but... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe number two, then, for FDR. <laughs> um... But uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, Hammer and Ho recollects a lot of this, right? There's um, yeah. where there were, you know, there were black folks working for the WPA uh, making like basically nothing and they would go on strike and they would be made to not strike. And, and you know, it was real, you know, yeah, yeah definitely there were some real issues with the, with the New Deal and, and with, you know, uh, certain actions of FDR. And, you know, obviously yeah. the most famous is like the internment camps, right? right. <laughs> it is easy for us yeah. to glorify it in retrospect, uh, especially in comparison to other administrations. And yeah, but I think we can take an honest assessment of, yes, there were significant gains in response to the significant organizing mm -hmm. of working people, uh, right? It was, and that's sort of my approach of, well, it was kind of the height of, of power for, for organized labor in the country. And therefore mm -hmm. the administration responded, you know, accordingly. And granted some concessions that you know hadn't been had before uh but yeah definitely uh you know try to maintain that critical approach even though it's easy for us to to glorify the new deal and to harken back to the new deal mm -hmm. for good reasons uh yeah we yeah. Sh we should maintain that that critical approach uh when we're looking at you know any administration uh, but yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, story, and uh, I think there's a lot we could dive into there in terms of, yeah, how it impacted the labor yeah. movement in the South, and and uh, the you know getting into the the, the finer mm -hmm. details of the New Deal and how it was a little bit more complicated than maybe folks realize. But uh, I think that's really an interesting story and and a sad story, but an yeah. interesting one. And an interesting relationship that we have to the textile mill strike in 19 textile mill strike across the South in 1934 is that David's grandmother was the president of the union here locally when they went on strike. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm a you know uh, if you've ever read Michael Goldfield's The Southern Key, he mentions that. Um, I think most of the mills in Huntsville were all strike by the time the strike began. So that's, uh, I'm that's sorry, pretty you wild. I'm sorry, you kind of broke up. Most of the mills in Huntsville were what? Well, on strike, actually, by the time that the general strike began. Mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty wild. Um, the um, other thing I wanted to mention, if we were talking about Roosevelt, I'm sure you know how um, during the uh, – the uh, sort of boss union truce that existed from like 41 through 45 when these miners would try to strike in alabama they would say go back into the mines or you'll be drafted i don't know if you've read about that i assume you have but yeah, stuff stuff like that i mean roosevelt right. uh well i i will i will withhold further criticism during this call but um it's <laughs> it's yeah yeah, but I do have to say, and I have to add this, y'all have easily the uh, 
most illustrious labor history of any southern state. And let's be honest, that's all based on mineral deposits mm. and, and God's plate mineral deposits. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's true. It's really an incredible history. I mean, if you look at the rate of unionization of Alabama in 1945, mm-hmm. it exceeds the unionization rate of any state today. It's something like 25 percent. I mean, crazy. Yeah. I thought it was even up to 30 something percent, but maybe it was only 25. Yeah, at one yeah. point. Yeah. It was really. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, the unionization rate of of Alabama in in that era. So. Just the associative power, the relationship between the miners who are really the vanguard and then uh, how their power would help um, uh, laborers with less um, what you would call uh, structural power, like people in the textile mills and people in laundries and stuff like that. It's it's really remarkable stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. And Goldfield is somebody I have on my list to, to have on for Shop Talk at some point in the future. So... Uh, yeah, yeah, appreciate that recommendation. I believe I first learned about that book from you, actually, mm. and I now have that <laughs> book and uh, look forward to reading awesome. it. Awesome. Um, and another one, if Jacob is interested in that late 19th century history, um, you might want to check out C. Van Woodward's The Southern Key. I don't know. Uh, not, uh, Southern, <laughs> Origins of the New South, um, okay. 1877-1913. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with yeah, uh, Woodward's work on on Jim Crow, um, but not yeah. that one. So that yeah, that's that's a good recommendation. That is the best. That is the um, history of record from like the quote New South era, right after Reconstruction through industrialization. I mean, you you can't beat that. It is a good historical materialist uh, work in the vein of somebody like Beata Beale. I wouldn't call it Marxist. It's kind of a liberal, um, liberal list, historical materialist. But I mean, it's it's wonderful. Well, I, I won't I won't keep y'all any longer. But I just thought I'd contribute that and uh, uh, see if y'all might be interested in that little piece of history. So, yeah, yeah, appreciate Thanks so it, much, Strom. Strom. Thank you. You got it. Right. You got Have it. Have a great day, man. We got more calls. This is going to be just an all-call show, yeah. So I'm, I would be happy with that. Let's bring on the next person. All right. All right, we've got a two five six call. Hey, we love two five six. What's your name and where are you calling from? I wonder. Robert Runner, Gaston, Alabama. Hey, Robert. Robert in Gadsden, Alabama. Yeah, we, uh, you're the one that talked to us uh, or that emailed us about the Pride event in Gadsden. We, um, we mentioned that at the end of um, our segment on the radio. So, um, yeah, maybe a few hopefully, people in your area. Yeah, right? hopefully you got out. Um, appreciate you reaching out to us about that. Yeah. Thanks. I actually was uh, calling in about something else i had a little bit of good news although it's relatively up in the air um i'm a part of an organization called race sorry not that one (laughs) wrong organization i'm a part of an organization called stay stay together appalachian youth um it's a youth autonomous um organization and i've recently got hired on to be their popular education organizing coordinator and as a part of that congratulations um, i've already Thank you. 
I've already talked to them and most of the workers, and I'm planning on uh, forming a union. I've already got a union contract. Just waiting to hear back next step from SEIU. Hell yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, well, congrats on the new new gig and congrats on the uh, on the campaign so going well so far. Yeah. Are you, and are you talking about unionizing the nonprofit, or is there like a different place that you're helping to organize? Unionizing the workers inside the nonprofit. Gotcha, gotcha. And you wouldn't, and hopefully this is a progressive nonprofit. We're not going to have any issues with uh, union busting there, are we? No, it, the only issue we got at the moment is specifically um, the wording around it because we're we're technically still fiscally sponsored by a bigger nonprofit. Mm. We're trying to figure out exactly the parameters of the the uh, union contract. Great. So gotcha. have, have y'all already been recognized as a union then? No, still work in the okay. works for it. Gotcha. Well, that's awesome. I love I love hearing that news, and uh, yeah, that's that's really great. And and keep us in keep us in the loop, and let us let us know um, once you get that uh, once you get that recognition and the contract. And um, I mean, we'd probably put up an article about it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Least. We'd love to. And uh, yeah, so keep us posted on how the internal organizing is going, and and as y'all go through that process, uh, I love to see that and. You know, I think all workers deserve a union, whether it's a nonprofit or uh, private industry, public sector, whatever. So I think that's great. And then, uh, you know, popular education coordinator, that sounds like a really cool job. Uh, so definitely uh, keep us in the loop on, you know, what yeah. you got going on. Any uh, any opportunities for collaboration, we would yeah, be absolutely. happy to entertain. Right. I'll uh, If anything pops up, I'll let you know. Yeah, thank y'all you'll have a good one thanks hey, robert thanks robert appreciate it yeah that's thanks cool um yeah, that's cool hope hope to always see our union movement grow and i, I love it when you know folks that like nonprofits mm -hmm. uh decide to organize and yeah I, hopefully uh, like you said hopefully it's one of those that practices what it <laughs> preaches and it's going to be non-controversial and right. uh it'll just go on through yeah uh got another caller all right what's the area code uh, two six seven area code. What's your name? Where it's you Simpson again. Oh hey, it's hey. Simpson again. <laughs> I I decided I need to go ahead and make me uh, a turkey and cheese uh, uh, grilled sandwich so I can have <laughs> energy to go back on because for some reason you know what it is because I uh, some of my shows that I I normally follow are on high ages mm. so I have to go ahead and focus my energy into other shows that are not on hiatus, and quite frankly, you all are one of my favorite shows. Well, thank because, you. Because uh, uh, labor, I, you know, I, I believe that when uh, Jacob says uh, labor creates all wealth, all wealth should go to labor. I am strongly thinking about the penetration for uh, this uh, corporate board said went to uh, Stonewall Unions. And there was a comment that was made uh, while you all were on uh, FM Airwaves. Somebody asked would the, um, how the USPS might uh, feel if UPS tried to um, 
use them to offload their labor to uh, them. I'm like, I don't think the APW, the American Postal Worker Union, want to be scabs uh, during a uh, union contract. Yeah, I and thanks for thanks for reminding us of that comment uh, because I I saw that and I was I was wanting to talk about it but I forgot about it and I you know I I'm not sure somebody else who's a letter carrier in the chat said something about we don't have like no scab clauses but um, would it actually be I would it be scabbing for the U, the the postal service to deliver goods that the UPS would have delivered otherwise because UPS is still being hurt right uh if if the postal service delivers packages that they would have otherwise because the instead of using UPS their customers would use the postal service and so like or, I think that what they were saying is that UPS would go ahead and ship their deliveries over to the postal service. Uh, the postal service has a uh, since we, since the country was formed, they have a mandate to deliver to every um, mm-hmm. every house in the country. Right. And the postal service is normally the um, deliver of uh, the final deliverer because UPS and and uh, FedEx as as widespread as they are, they cannot get to everything. Right. So, oh, so so the so would that would that be an option then? Is that that UPS keeps the contracts and hires then USPS to do the job, and then they wouldn't be hurt by it? Is now that would be that seems like that would be an issue. Um, I would hope that the team that's why the ABW are, are already yeah. you know having some conversations. Yeah. I, I think that ABW was probably like. No, we, we we had enough shit to deal with. We are not dealing with your shit because you all can't uh, pay people. Right. Yeah. We are federal. Uh, we're federal employees, but we are um, here to uh, do your lip, your heavy lifting. Yeah, we've got some some letter carriers that that listen, um, and and some stewards, uh, and so if y'all have any thoughts about that and and how that would work out, I would be interested to know. I think I just just sent you all an uh, article uh, by the Twitter, mm, okay. and I just want to get about a judge uh, removing a January 6th protester uh, for because they engaged in insurrection against the U.S. Oh man! Wow! I know you're like wow. I told you I had energy today. Yeah. You all want to go ahead and jump into this, read it, and give your reaction? I don't, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. It should be from Crew. It's on. Hold on. I can, um, I can. So, I'm curious. It was one of the January 6th folks, uh, and were they just convicted with new charges? Is that what it is? (laughs) I'll, I'm going to tag you all on Twitter with the article. Okay. Um, right, sweet. Give me just a moment. I just got to come on. Gee, no, you all are labor reporters on Twitter. And everybody should understand they are labor reporters on Twitter. If you look for them other places, it might be TVLR or the Valley Labor Report. 
Yeah, yeah. Our Hosted Twitter handle Adam is Jacob. at Labor Reporters. Uh, most everywhere else on the internet, we are the Valley Labor Report. But our username is the Valley Labor Report. So if you search, yeah, the Valley yeah, Labor if you search Report, the Valley Labor Report, you should but still find us. Yeah, Labor Reporters. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate you calling in, Infinite, uh, and well, getting so, this tagged um, on here, right? So here's, yeah, I just had you all. We'll all probably right, see it in about um, 27 seconds, uh, uh, depending <laughs> on, okay, like I yeah, said, so it used to be like removes, two seconds. Judge removes Griffin from office for engaging in, in January 26. Oh, so he's a county commissioner, this guy. Wow. That's crazy. Where And where was this at? Uh, is in New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico. Uh, effective immediately, nope. ruling that the nope. attack on the Capitol was an insurrection and that Griffin's participation in it disqualified him under the Fourteenth Amendment. This decision marks the first time since 1869 that a court has disqualified a public official under the Fourteenth Amendment, and the first time that any court has ruled the events of January 6 to be an insurrection. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's some precedent. That's uh, I was I was going to ask like. When is the last time that happened? Uh, so wow. I would have thought Civil War um, just off the bat if I didn't mm-hmm. read the article. But I'm like, I, I I believe that this needs to be the this ruling needs to be understood and uh, used in other cases. Yeah, because a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of cases where, and I had a, um, I had a random thought. I just wanted to pass. Actually, I have so many thoughts, so many thoughts. That's why I call myself infinite concept. <laughs> I think I might want to run for um, school board in a couple of years. Mm. And be like, why are you running for school board? More of harm prevention than. Um, me, like I have ideas that I think that that could um, help out just local school boards, but I need to make uh, sure that these bastards from Moms for Liberty don't get into local school boards in my area. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, if if you all um, feel like um, arguing and energizing people to come and uh, disrupt their uh, National conference that's going to be happening in Philadelphia in late June to early July. I will not uh, condemn nor condone you for such actions. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, wouldn't that be a trip? The Moms yeah. for Liberty convention. Oh my God. Ooh, I got to get you. I have to get. I'm going to see if I can get Kim Kelly to near you, or you all can jump on with Kim Kelly. She's a great oh, yeah, for we are um yeah we're we're pretty close to Kim Kelly yeah actually, we were trying to get her work. on the show actually to talk about her latest uh cover feature uh within these times about black lung uh so hopefully at that, some yeah, point we'll this be, summer she mm-hmm. will be on it's gonna be you know yeah at some point this summer uh but yeah and like I said i and i I just wanna um uh, take a moment to lament about some Bullshit in Philly, um, because once again we had some uh, boil water notices because of mm. some bullshit with uh, Philadelphia Water Department. And once again, well, actually, did you all see the um, story about the um, 
the gas truck crashing and um, it collapsed in part of I-95? Yes, I did. I'm like, this I'm like, yeah, hey, y'all are, are going to have some like this infrastructure problems for a while with yeah. that. My, my saving grace, I don't have to go anywhere near I-95 to uh, do my commute to work. My lament is that I still have to go to fucking work. Right. I have not uh <laughs> right. I have not um hit that powerball for like two hundred billion where I can uh use the instant retirement fund and I I'm telling you, if I ever hit come into like two hundred million dollars, I will buy like fifteen six fifteen, twenty local AM stations and have and use that as a counter um, offensive against uh, who's that? Rogers? Who, who has the Roger? What's Ailes that? Uh, and, yeah, yeah, Roger. All, all those right wing yeah, media uh, oligarchs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, need a, we need a lefty to win the lottery. Uh, absolutely. There you go. Uh, that would that would do a lot for us. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm like, first of all, I I'm not somebody who's used to having comfort. I'm like. I have my house set up, make sure I have uh, plenty of internet and bandwidth and uh, a solar capacity. That, by the way, have you all, you all are south enough that you could possibly um, petition your uh, school districts to uh, set up solar and your municipalities to request solar um, power, like solar panels put on your um, mm -hmm. buildings? generate energy and then you can uh sell it out to the grid yeah i think um and you mentioned earlier running for school board i think there's a lot of opportunities uh there was a, a bill a while i think back i only need like 500 just, uh, just for my local school board i think i could i think i only need like 450 500 votes yeah go i mean start going to the pta meetings uh the youth the sports, issue is my commute um, is like i i have a two, i have a two-hour commute each way right but i have no problem about talking with people um as they go back and forth yeah yeah because you meet people where you, they are right so I'm like i saw you uh i saw you with a uh, grab a beer yes i'm a grown-ass man i can grab a beer mm. they ain't got nothing to do with um uh me being sober and focused at a meeting i don't drink when I have business to deal with, right now off the clock, I'm I will do whatever I want to, and if you want, um, it's like I can be just holy od disrespectful. You want to do a piss test on me? Give me your cup. I'll give you a piss <laughs> <a piece> test. <laughs> like I said, I I I, I can be od disrespectful. I have four brothers and four sisters, and we our job every day when we woke up was to fuck with every one of us. Mm. So no, I no, iron sharpens iron just like man sharpens man, and I can And I would tell people, look, it's a it's a one hundred percent chance that my um, family group chats are going to be released. Yeah, I said all that, and I don't care mm. because we talk uh, wild and reckless. Uh, that's just if you have a big family, you would understand. If you don't, yeah, well, that's not my problem. Fingers crossed when you run for school board that uh, you know it doesn't it doesn't go out there and you can uh, you can maintain. A, well, a, I'm just gonna tell people I'm a whole ass sinner. 
Because um, <laughs> yeah. if you if you tell people, look, I, like if you tell people, yeah, I'm a whole ass and I'm, I've I've said some fucked up shit, and I'll probably keep on saying fucked up shit. That doesn't mean I'm not effective to do this job. Uh, just because I make problematic commentary, I'm still for the people, and oh shit, love the kids. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what it should be about is make, uh, making progress. All right. Uh, how many other people all got online? Um, yeah, well, yeah. Appreciate all right, you. We'll talk next week. All right. All sounds right, great. Talk soon. Have a good one. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, Vonda McDaniel's in the chat. She is the president of the um, uh, Nashville, the Nashville Library, uh, C- uh, Central Labor Council. The Nashville Central Labor Council, and she mentioned that uh, BCTGM in Memphis is on strike, and that's right. Uh, that was one of the things that, that I wanted to get to today, and that is that soy protein workers in Memphis are on strike for a better contract. Um, they have been uh, having pickets. Uh, they had a, a pretty big one on Thursday uh, that had some city leaders come to it, uh, which is pretty cool. We love to see that. Um, I'm not seeing anything, and v- maybe Vonda knows more, and she could she could tell us. Uh, but but I'm not seeing super specific demands. But uh, on BCTGM's website, they are saying that um, the the demands include overtime pay after eight hours, uh, no dramatic changes to their health insurance, and um, that, that really it bol- uh, the, the whole thing boils down to a call for respect that they feel like they're not getting. Um, so uh, uh, just like, I mean, j- you know, I, I've never seen a worker strike for anything that seemed unreasonable, and these, of course, do not seem unreasonable. Having uh, nothing take a- taken away from them uh, in their health care plan, totally reasonable and having overtime pay after eight hours that's something that a lot of that a lot of places do having overtime pay after eight hours and i think that's important uh you know for the benefit of the workers because it's nice to have a little bit more money but also uh to as a penalty you know this is something that they called in down in um southeast alabama in uh, uh cottonton at the mart mill where they were locked out because they refused to accept a concessionary contract uh, back in October. Uh, they called some of these excessive payments uh, or, or the excess payments for time worked over over 8 or 12 hours or, or time worked on Sundays or time worked on holidays. They didn't call it premium pay. They called it penalty pay because they're like, yeah, you know, if we have to work these hours, it's nice to get this extra money, but really we don't want to work these hours, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we want it there needs to be an incentive for the company to not just rely on their current workforce to work a lot of overtime, there needs to be an incentive for the company to hire more people. So that there is a, a proper staffing level, and so that uh, they, you know, so that uh, the the folks down in Mart Mill don't have to work a whole lot of overtime, and and it sounds like you know there's there's a fight here for overtime pay after eight hours, and so you know, like I said, there there's definitely an importance to that as just a benefit to the workers, but also as an incentive, as a negative incentive to the company to uh, disincentivize them 
from working people over eight hours because it's bad. It is bad to work over eight hours. That's not good. That's not a good thing that people have to work. Um, that people have to work over eight hours. Nobody should have to work over eight hours. Um, and so you know, good. Good, good on them, uh, the BCTGM workers uh, that make soy protein things for international flavors and fragrance fragrances. International flavor and fragrances. They said in a statement to ABC24 in Memphis, we are disappointed by the union's decision to strike. <laughs> the company presented a comprehensive compensation and benefits package, which included wage increases over the next three years and many new medical and paid time off benefits. Wowee. So, yeah. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff from those workers, uh, wishing, wishing them all the best. And um, and if the strike goes on for very long, maybe we have a road trip to Memphis. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, here's another quick hit. Uh, Jennifer Bates has been reinstated. Did you see this, Adam? I just heard about yeah. that. Yeah. That's, like, super cool. Jennifer Bates is uh, was one of the, I mean, I think probably pretty easily the second most visible um, Amazon worker organizer uh, for, for the, the movement to unionize Amazon. I think that she's easily the second most visible uh, worker for Amazon uh, or, or the second most visible person in the Amazon. And, and, you know, the first being Chris Smalls, I think, reasonably. But as far as people that still work at Amazon, I think she's probably the most visible. I don't think there's any worker in the country that has done more interviews and been more visible and know people and more people know than Jennifer Bates. Right. Um, and so that's important to understand. Because in early June, uh, she was told that she had been terminated. She was told that she had been terminated after you know several months of a workers' compensation nightmare from injuries that she sustained on the job and because of the job. And uh, and so last week on June fifteenth, uh, Jennifer Bates and and reading from the RWDSU's press release today, Jennifer Bates, the lead worker spokesper- spokeswoman of the Bessemer, Alabama Amazon Union Drive, received notice that she had been reinstated by the company after filing an unfair labor practices a- after filing an unfair labor practice charge against the company so huge news there really great stuff in the movement to organize amazon and for and no doubt for jennifer uh, personally this is really great stuff uh she said following the response to the news amazon was wrong they tried to fire me and stifle a movement but the movement pushed back and i'm incredibly humbled by the global outpouring of support for my unjust termination if there's a lesson to be if there's a lesson to be learned today it's that amazon workers everywhere now know that when you're under attack you have to stand up and fight back because when we fight clearly we win so hell yeah, yeah. great stuff hell yeah love to see stuff like that love to see stories like that um so let's, uh, Adam, unless you have any objections, let's play this clip about project labor agreements. Let's do it. Let's do it. President Biden has said that he intends to be the most pro-union president in history, um, has pursued policies that benefit union workers, which is fine, except they're to the detriment of all other workers in some cases. For example, 
through regulations on federal procurement and provisions in federally assisted grant programs, the administration has promoted project labor agreements on construction projects. Uh, POAs limit the pool of qualified bidders to unionized contractors and union labor. Okay, pause it just for a second right there. Um, he's, he worded that really sneakily. Uh, I think um, he said that it limits the pool of qualified contractors to union contractors and union labor. And I guess technically you could say that, but there is nothing in project labor agreements that stop non-union contractors from meeting those qualifications right. other than the greed and avarice of the non-union contractors, Right. There is nothing in these project labor agreements that says, yea, verily, you must be a union contractor, you must employ union members. Instead, the uh, qualifications are you have to uphold these certain standards, uh, the standards being you know, you have to pay people a certain amount, you have to have these certain safety conditions, you have to have this certain amount of training, um, blah, blah, blah. Nothing stopping non-union contractors uh, from meeting those qualifications other than their greed and, av and avarice. You're uh, decreasing supply. You're going to see higher costs. But it also limits job opportunities for non-union uh, construction workers. Um, you, uh, acting sector, have an obligation to support all American workers, regardless of their labor affiliation. Will you commit to opposing these exclusionary policies that harm the 88.3 percent of construction workers who choose not to join a union? I certainly con before we even get to that, I just have to say that's also slippery language to say that 88 percent of construction workers choose not to join a union. Right. How, yeah, how many, many of, of those, those folks actually got to vote? On right. How many of those have ever been presented with an option? Right. If you were to poll that 88 percent, how many would be interested in a union or mm -hmm. one available for them? Uh, I suspect quite a few of those 88 percent of construction workers would be interested in joining a union. Mm -hmm. um, just a thought. Yeah. ...commit to uh, supporting and serving workers regardless of their uh, union affiliation. Will you support to not implementing project labor agreements on any federal projects? Well, I think that some of those project labor agreements are um, are, are written into, into statute, <laughs> into the bipartisan infrastructure law that, again, was... Uh, passed by Congress, um, I see my job as having full fidelity to the law, the law as you, this body passes them, the law as courts interpret them. Um, I, I, I think there's also um, you know, studies that demonstrate that project labor agreements actually decrease costs over, over time because it, it assures a reliable workforce that is trained um, and that the, the the outcome, you know, fewer disruptions, um, you I, know, that the outcomes are more I, I reliable. I think the studies show just the opposite. <laughs> That's actually really funny that they included her response to that because in, in two ways, she really, you know, just in like 30 seconds, uh, destroyed, as other YouTube commentators would say in their titles, um, really destroyed his argument because she was like, you know, okay, so for one, 
my job is not to, you know, uh, create laws. It's to execute the laws. And actually, the law that we're talking about here, <laughs> the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, it, that requires, the law requires, not, you know, my feelings or anything, is the law requires that. The law has that. And, and so I have to execute that by virtue of my office. And actually, it would be illegal for me not to. And so, in effect, what this guy is doing is asking her to violate the law uh, to the benefit of who? Right to the benefit of who? I think it would be interesting to see how much money he's gotten from the ABC, from the Associated Builders and Contractors. Um, if anybody wants to, you know, look that up and throw that in the chat or in our comment section, that would be something that would be interesting. Uh, the fellow was Representative Smucker from Pennsylvania, and Associated Builders and Contractors are a non-union construction alliance or whatever. Right. And so, you know, she points out that actually uh, what you're asking me to do is in many cases illegal. So that's one. Uh, but also there are many studies. In fact, he said he disputes this at the end. But there are, in fact, many studies that do show uh, that project labor agreements decrease costs over the term of the contract. Uh, and that is true. That is just a factual statement. He says that uh, the studies show the opposite. And it is also true that there are studies that show the opposite. But it is true that there are studies that show that, 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 um, that project labor agreements cut costs. So there are studies on either side of the question. And uh, to really kind of arrive at the truth, at the truth, you'd have to do pretty nitty-gritty analysis of the studies and see what makes the most sense and, and take a look at the methodology and, and, and all that. But... Um, uh, but for for my buck, uh, you know, for 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 my opinion, I, I think it's worth considering. Okay, what what would we want to do as a society if it bore out that in fact project labor agreements do increase construction costs by, uh, you know, one or two or three or five or even ten percent? What would what would we want to do then? Uh, and we would have to assess other stuff, and some of the other stuff is much less. And ambiguous uh, and is much more clear and the other stuff is that uh, is the safety record is the quality of life for union workers for uh, you know for people who work on on construction projects that have project labor agreements uh, for their health you know their health care the amount of, and whether they are on public assistance whether they are on welfare right these are all other things to consider than whether or not that one number, big or small, uh, and and those questions are much more clear. Um, I am not aware of any studies that show that non-project labor agreement contracts are safer. Um, I'm not a I'm not aware of any indication that that would be true. I'm not aware of any indication that workers on non-PLA projects are less likely to be on. Public assistance. I am not aware of any data to suggest that workers on non-PLA projects are more likely to have health care or more likely to have better health care. Uh, there's just no reason to believe any of this is true. And, uh, so I'm, and I'm also not aware of anything suggesting that the quality of the build by non, in non-PLA projects is better. Right, because there's another there's another question as to the price of the con of of the contract of the construction. Um, are we cutting the quality? 
while we're cutting the price. And we know that as as consumers, that this is true in a lot of situations. Just as a just as a you know a normal kind of civilian consumer. If you pay more for something, it is more likely to be of better quality. And so there is reason to believe that that's the case for construction projects, right? Uh, and it also makes intuitive sense. You know, if the workers are more likely to be safe, if they're less likely to die, if they're more likely to have health care, if they're less likely to be on public assistance, all of these things, it is just intuitive that the build quality is going to be better. Um, and so, you know, the question of one number, price of the contract, big or small, uh, big number or small number, that's not the only question to consider. And uh, for me, even if, which this is not clear, it is not a clear answer that PLA projects actually increase construction costs. That is by no means a settled question. But even if that were a settled question, PLAs are still good. <laughs> Project labor agreements are still good. They're good for the workers. They're good for society. And, you know... This freak uh, doesn't think so. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think PLAs are just common sense using the yeah. power of public funds to create public good. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there we go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, here's another story. Uh, some a, a U.S. House panel has voted to raise commercial pilot retirement ages to 67, up from uh, where it is currently at 65. Oh, that's not good. No, no, it's not good. Uh, it was set that pilots have a mandatory retirement age. Back in 2000, uh, I think it was last change in 2009 or 2008, before that, the retirement age was 60, the mandatory retirement age. You had to retire at 60. They raised it to 65, and now they're, they have voted to raise it to 67, and so that's going to go to the full house in the like FAA reauthorization or something. Um, and probably, because now it's been included in this big package, it's probably going to pass uh, with Democratic support, presumably. And it's just bad policy. It's bad policy. Uh, you know, uh, for I think the obvious thing that you think of is, is the safety issue, right, is that being a pilot requires a certain amount of, of stamina, of mental acuity, uh, you know, all this, all this sort of stuff um, that, that it, it does pose a danger to the workers' lives as pilots and, and the stewards on the plane, but also to consumers. Like every flight you have in the hands of the pilot, hundreds of people, hundreds of lives there. And so there is definitely reason to um, to set standards with regards to how old a person can be uh, to be a pilot. And so that was the rationale for setting the retirement age to 60 previously and for keeping it at 65 as opposed to just abolishing it altogether. And um, and so they're saying that they're doing this. And, and I haven't found anything, and I'm sure that if you could go to the, like the House website or something, but I haven't found anything that shows the partisan breakdown of this vote. It was very narrow. It was 32 to 31 um, to put this in the bill. And so my assumption is that that was on along party lines for the most part, but I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, the, the rationale there is that, uh, that they say that there's a pilot shortage. 
Uh, Republican Representative Sam Graves, who is the chair of the committee, said the bill is, quote, vital to our economy, to millions of jobs, and to the 850 million passengers that depend on the aviation system every year. Um, and also, it will not surprise you that the uh, airline bosses, the Regional Airline Association, praised the pilot age hike noting that 324 airports have lost on average a third of their air service with more than 400 airplanes parked due to a lack of pilots. Um, and they say raising the pilot retirement age keeps experienced pilots, particularly captains, in place. And um, the... I could think of other ways to do that. Yeah. Huh. I wonder if there would be other ways to keep... Exp to, to acquire experienced pilots or um or uh train new ones i wonder uh it will also not surprise you that the unions oppose this the airline pilots association opposed raising the retirement age uh, and says one of the issues with it is that it could cause airline scheduling and pilot training issues and require reopening pilot contracts. Even if the proposal is approved, the union noted that international rules would still prevent pilots older than 65 from flying in most countries outside the U.S. The uh, union says that this is a politically driven choice that betrays a fundamental understanding of airline industry operations, the pilot profession, and safety. Um, and I think that's a that's a key thing that that there is a safety issue here. But also, you know, I think I would I would be willing to admit that probably, which you know, this isn't this is really not something that you want to be saying when you're talking about hundreds of lives during every that are you know a pilot is responsible for every flight. But probably, we're not going to see a marked increase in crashes. Probably. You know, the uh, the risk is not one that I would want to take just on that alone. But probably, you know, okay, we can maybe we can stipulate that. But uh, there's just no reason to do this because if the airlines just paid people more money <laughs> and gave them more time off, then uh, they could get more people and they could they could fly the planes. It's just crazy that you know it's so frustrating, so frustrating seeing this kind of stuff happen when. You know, in the airline industry, again, we're already seeing the profits are coming back to pre-pandemic levels, huge profits, executive pays going up, all this stuff, and they're trying to squeeze more of the life from their workers. I mean, literally, squeezing more of the life out of their workers uh, to try to keep profits high instead of doing literally anything else. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's bad. It's very bad. Secretary Buttigieg does not support raising the pilot retirement age as well, um, and the uh, the union is also in negotiation with a couple of the airlines. And um, you know, one of the a, a big issue in these negotiations is not the pay, because on average, airline pilots are paid pretty well. They have to go through a long period of training, but they are once they become pilots, they're paid pretty well. Uh, but the issue in this contract negotiation, according to the bargaining committee in the interviews that they've been giving to the media is not the pay. It is the time off, uh, you know, the time away from work. Uh, they said that over the pandemic, a lot of pilots really realized how much they were missing out on just how much they were missing out on, uh, and, and want to change that. And, and so it's not even that they're wanting so much more money. It's that they're wanting more freedom from work. 
um, which is something that we should all support, and and that is why we should we should all oppose the raising of the retirement age for pilots, um, even aside from the safety issues. Pittsburgh Dude 87 says, I feel like pilots should have the option to retire with full benefits at 65, but if they pass, if they can pass a physical health exam and want to continue, they should be allowed to continue to 67. I feel like it depends on health versus age. There could be 67-year-olds where they're healthier than people younger than them. Uh, that point is definitely true. Yeah, fair enough. But, but also, you know, um, yeah, I don't know about even even if they pass a certain health, even if it's if it's just, you know, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah, because I'm sensitive to that, and I get that. Like, I wouldn't yeah. want to tell someone, like, hey, you've got to go home before right. they're ready. But at the same time, I think the bigger picture, well, like, I, I, I could see individuals who, uh-huh. who maybe would benefit from that. I think in the bigger picture, you know, it speaks to your point about basically we're, we're, we're accommodating an employer's mm-hmm. refusal to do right reasonable things right. uh to have uh, you know adequate staffing which would yeah. be ensuring they have a pipeline of folks that are being trained uh taking care of the folks that they have and retaining them by mm-hmm. you know meeting them uh in terms of their demands on vacation and leave time and pay of course but uh you know yeah pr- pilots are very you know that's a very specific skill set, and it's a very important job that not everybody can do. And so, to me, I think it's incumbent on the airlines to do everything they can to have a high-quality workforce in terms of their pilots. And, you know, it's not that hard to get people to want to do that job if you if the pay is right, if the benefits are right, if... Uh, you are intentional about recruiting folks into the profession mm-hmm. and intentional about retaining folks in the profession. Right. Like, you know, employers really, really don't want to take personal responsibility <laughs> yeah. uh, when it comes for their yeah. own actions and inactions and how it translates into mm-hmm. their employment statistics and their retention and their recruitment and all this, right? Yeah. They just don't want to take responsibility for how their own behavior as the employer mm-hmm. largely determines whether they have employees right? Uh, and the quantity and quality of said employees. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, while recognizing a sensitivity to, you know, maybe the interest of, of a few pilots to want to work until they're 67, um, there is... That would undoubtedly, if you make that step, that would undoubtedly, you know, that, that's just a wedge. And so the next time, you know, maybe there's a recession or there's a pilot shortage, maybe the, you know, you, it, it would just, it would continue, it would o- it would just open the door for more and more um, and for maybe allowing them to not give uh, full retirements at 65. And also, you know, I think it's important to say like, okay, uh, also, you know, is it good for society to have people, you know, uh, continuing to work into their 70s and 80s as opposed to being able to kind of have a, have a retirement? And, you know, we, we think about, you know, the, the thing about giving them the freedom to work until they're 67, you know, kind of kind of made me think about which is it, it is different, but it, there's a there's kind of a similar logic there. Uh, some like conservative arguments 
that would say people should have the freedom to work for $5 an hour instead of $7 an hour. Um, That people should have the freedom to uh, maybe work over 40 hours a week without getting time and a half if they are a hourly employee. Um, And uh, that, that maybe people should have the freedom to work in a facility that is not compliant with the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Uh, so, you know, um, is that really a freedom that is good for society to give to people? And for all of those, I think the answer is much clearer, I think, that the answer right. is no. It is not good for society to allow people to work for $5 an hour. It is not good for society to allow people to work in unsafe conditions. And it is not good for society uh, for employers to be able to pay people more than 40, uh, pay people straight time for more than 40 hours a week. I think those are all very clearly bad. And I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think Pittsburgh dude would, would disagree with that. But I, I do think that there's, there's a question there about, like, is that actually good for society to allow pilots to continue working to 67 Um, yeah it's much less clear cut clear cut and you know i I could be i could be convinced either way probably yeah but but, you know those are things to consider uh we are because we got so many calls we're not going to be able to get to all the things uh that we wanted to there's this um you know the stuff about cop city um the stuff about transparency and economic incentives i think those are two kind of bigger stories that I want to be able to devote to devote a little bit more time to. Um, and so we'll just do this one more quick hit about school lunches and then we'll roll out. Does that sound good to you, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So um, the Republican study committee and the Republican study committee is like a caucus, you know, like the Democrats have uh, the progressive caucus. They've got the blue dogs. There's a bipartisan problem solvers caucus, which is really just, Republicans and conservative Democrats. Um, no such thing as a liberal Republican. Um, and, uh, and and you've got the Freedom Caucus on the Republican side. And so the Republican Study Committee is, is a caucus. And uh, three-quarters of the House Republicans are members. And the Republican Study Committee released on Wednesday their desired 2024 budget, which includes, among other things like cuts to Medicare and cuts to Social Security, which this is just the most, you know, before we get to the school lunch thing, the the amount of gaslighting that you get in right-wing media about the, about, oh, Republicans don't, nobody wants to cut Social Security. Nobody wants to cut Medicare. That would be crazy. While every year the Republican Study Committee comes out with a budget saying that they want to cut Medicare and Social Security, which, uh, you know, this caucus <laughs> counts three quarters of the House members that are Republicans as members of that caucus. And every year, this co- you know, this is a document that comes out basically every year. And in every year, they're like, yeah, we should cut Social Security. We should do like a 20% cut to Social Security. We should make it so that people can't have Medicare until they're like 70 Every year this shit comes out. And and still, you have right-wingers in, uh, you know, that write columns that come on the radio that tell us that we're crazy for suggesting that Republicans want to cut Social Security. That tells we're out of our minds. That we're conspiracy theorists. I don't know. That just really boggles the mind. I wonder if, like... 
I, I don't know. I, it just seems like it would be embarrassing to so brazenly lie, but maybe not. You know, I don't know. Maybe the money's worth it. So anyway, the Republican Study Committee on Wednesday released its desired 2024 budget, uh, in which, among those other things, the part the party declares its priority to um, eliminate the community eligibility provision or CEP from the school lunch program because. The CEP allows certain schools to provide free school lunches regardless of the individual eligibility of each student. And this is for some reason a bad thing. <laughs> um, the community eligibility provision in the free school lunch program is there uh, for schools that are in uh, like markedly low income areas so that that is just one less thing for the school and one less thing for the students to do, to have to do, to have on their plate. And, um, and it just makes it easier. And it makes it, you know, it, it makes, le it, it gives the students who, who qualify individually for free school lunch. Um, it, it makes them have less, there's less, uh, stigma associated with it. Right. Less chances that folks, uh, slip through the cracks. Right. Um, you know, there are people who are going to go, people whose income varies a lot. Mm -hmm. And so people who, families who maybe only qualify for a reduced lunch or maybe no, uh, you know, benefit at all mm -hmm. in August by October or December or March, you know, they, they very well may need it. Right. Uh, and I think when you're in a poor neighborhood, it, it's just common sense to just go ahead and, and take care of everybody uh, rather than go through all the paperwork. And it's been a very successful program. Uh, right. It's fed a lot of kids. It's kept a lot of families afloat. Yeah, absolutely. And there is also data to indicate that um, that in schools with a community eligibility provision, um, there are more children like it it obviously 100% of the children who qualify individually get this free school lunch whereas in other communities where you don't have this community eligibility provision only something like 60 to 70% of students who qualify get the free school lunch so there's a lot of this benefit that is not being given to to children and and to families by proxy in communities where you don't have this community eligibility, um, and the uh, uh, and, and that increases student performance of of those people who are kind of on the margins of uh, who 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 qualify, but their parents wouldn't have their parents wouldn't have have qualified because of the just you know just the bureaucratic hurdle, and then also those people who are kind of on the margins, like they just barely wouldn't have qualified. It increases their performance because uh, you know. It's um, just a stability, right? right. Uh, stability of knowing that you can get a meal every day. Um, that's important. And so many of our kids come to school hungry mm -hmm. and depend on those meals. Uh, they depend on those meals because that may be the best nutrition they get day in, day right. out. Uh, and for a lot of children in Alabama and across the country, that is the case. They are depending on these meals. And, of course, the yeah. educators recognize that hungry kids don't learn. And so mm -hmm. it's very important uh, right. that they have some basic level of nutrition so that they can actually, 
you know, reap the benefits from education and, and learn a little bit and, and be successful in school. Uh, and it's really, you know, disturbing to me that there are people who will obsess with the idea that maybe somewhere somebody is getting something they didn't deserve. You know, they're getting yeah. a they're getting a free lunch that they didn't deserve. And it's like, you know, okay, these are children. Mm-hmm. I think they all deserve a lunch and a breakfast and send them home with a supper. I'm fine with that. Right. Every one of them. Uh, yeah. And if there are some who, who, you know, maybe they wouldn't or- ordinarily qualify and they benefit from it, mm-hmm. great. Okay? Right. That's, a kid is fed, and that's right. important. That's what yeah. matters. A kid is fed. Uh, a kid has nutrition. A kid is able to learn that day yeah, and, and can move on and hopefully live a healthy life. And so that's what's important. And it's and, very and really, revealing when people show what they value. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I uh, so we are not shy about being critical of, of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, but we also, you know, we want to try to have a clear eyed analysis of, of what happens. And, uh, you know, so at the same time that Republicans in the House are saying we should not have free school lunch for the community in areas where the community is poor. Democrats in other states are passing free school lunch for everybody. You know, so look, there that's a difference. Right? right, it is a difference and <laughs> and you know, there's just there's economies of scale that comes mm-hmm. into it at, at a certain point it just makes more sense to just go ahead and feed everybody. Right. Um, Matt Brunig for the People's Policy Project has a really great article uh, uh, called The Case for Free School Lunch um, that really kind of goes into the absurdity of like just how small of the school's operating budget the food is and how silly it is that there's this one aspect of public education that is not free. You know, we've got free transportation, we've got free learning, we've got free books, we've got free supplies, we've got all this free, 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 free. And then we hive off this like fraction of a percent of the cost of schooling and say that this is actually the make or break thing. Like, you know, it teaches people responsibility. The other free stuff is not, you know, destructive to their morality. But but if we gave them free school lunch, that would be really destructive. So really, you know, silly stuff. Uh, yeah, but, it, but that's a good that's a good article. It doesn't. Yeah, it, I agree with that. It doesn't make sense. Either it's all free for the public or it's not. And uh so I think it's been a promising thing that mm-hmm. uh, this community eligibility provision and all the moves towards more uh, universal free lunch, it's been moving in the right direction. And mm-hmm. it, it is a shame to see Republicans try to reverse that. But again, that's revealing of, of who they are and what they're about. Yeah. Uh, Adam, before we before we head out, I, I just saw that we had another caller and, and I went in to screen the calls. And I think it's Joe. So let's let's bring Joe on. Sure. And see what he has to say before we wrap up. Uh, Joe? Is that you? Hello, caller. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Hey, caller, can you hear us? Hey, there you are. Here you, Adam. All right. Really quick, I just wanted—I just wanted to make a comment on the reinstatement of Miss Bates down at Amazon. 
Yeah. Sure, that's that's absolutely good news. But uh, what I was what I was kind of wanting to wanting to mention was that uh, supposedly Amazon reinstated her after their internal review uh, found that they should have reinstated her. Well, mm. that don't make a whole lot of sense when they was uh, calling the shots in the first place. If uh, if they had a review, they shouldn't have never terminated her in the first place. Right. But uh, what what they really what they's really trying to do is uh, uh, stop some of their liabilities. And I'm not talking about mm. financial liabilities because their financial liabilities of her salary wouldn't be a drop in the ocean. Mm. Her uh, the liabilities the liabilities that uh, they was really concerned about was. Uh, Ultimately, they was going to be found guilty by the board. I'm I'm positive of that, mm-hmm. and they just didn't want it. They just didn't want to have to go out and post publicly yeah. that they violated the that they violated the act. Yeah. Uh, they're they're spin doctors, and and I think I'm right on all this. I don't think it. You know, I know there was board charges filed, but I don't think the board actually reinstated her. No, that that's correct. The board did not reinstate her. Uh, the The reinstatement came after the union filed an unfair labor practice, but it was not actually action by the board that that reinstated her. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. True. True. And 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 my only comment was was uh, uh, had she not been a union organizer, uh, I hope people don't think that. Uh, every person that gets terminated at, at an Amazon place, and, and even even the one in uh, Bessemer, uh, I hope they don't think that every one of them is going to get a review of their discharge because it ain't going to happen. She only got she only got hers because of her because of her organizing efforts, and uh, I'm sure they probably terminate two three people at least a month down there that. Uh, mm-hmm. Never, never gets a hearing, or uh, but that's that's that was just that was just silliness. I thought that uh, their spin doctors was gonna gonna make like oh oh we uh, we reviewed this and 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 now we see our our mistake. But listen, I ain't gonna keep y'all. That's all I really wanted to comment on. Uh, unless unless y'all went over to see Mike Pence last night. Uh, Oh, I hate I missed it. <laughs> yeah, he was in Huntsville, wasn't he? Where was he? Yeah, he was at he was at one of those smaller auditoriums at the Bonbron, if I'm not mistaken. Uh. Now, supposedly it was not a political rally. It was more aligned with some group called the Gridiron, uh, which I thought it might have been some kind of sports organization, but my understanding is it's some kind of religious organization it was a men's conference uh i hadn't had a chance to see his speaking yeah. engagement yet but uh I, i'm i'm sure he had to mix some politics in where they had uh I'm, I'm pretty sure that one other thing i seen where mr dale strong uh our uh district five representative uh posted something on the facebook a few days back about his reasoning for uh for uh, voting against voting against the uh, 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 oh shucks the uh, 
not the balance budget. You know the debt limit deal. Yeah, yeah, the debt limit ceiling. Yeah, yeah, he he had some reasons why he voted against it, but mm-hmm. his but his first and foremost reason was uh uh he didn't want these liberals spending all the money. You yeah. Know? Right. Uh, well, the money gets spent by both parties, you know, right. and uh, Dale Strong, Dale Strong, I would know that that the city of Huntsville is they thrive and survive on government dollars. He ought to know that. He does know that. It really is amazing. It really is amazing, like how the Republican representatives in Madison County, what their rhetoric is like regarding government spending. Um, yes. Yes. Yes, but uh, I just I just thought it was silly what he what mm-hmm. he posted and his reasons for voting against the debt ceiling. Uh, like I say, like I say, Huntsville would be a ghost town without those government dollars. And I'm not saying take the government dollars out, but no stretch, you right. know. Uh, but but it, but if that's what your if that's what your district's thriving on, you shouldn't be condemning spending. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. And you're, and you're. I mean, we're on exactly the same wavelength. I would not want to take the government dollars out of Huntsville. I think there would. Uh, I think if I was, uh, you know, king of the king of the country, uh, I would uh, reallocate some of those dollars and maybe uh, <laughs> less of those dollars going to building bombs that are going to kill brown kids in the Middle East, and more of them maybe uh, I don't know building schools or something. <laughs> but something positive. Yeah. For a group of, for a group of politicians that want to defund the FBI and the mm-hmm. DOG and all that, they uh, they they sure spend a lot of time trying to woo uh, uh, the FBI. You mm-hmm. know, relocate some of their sources in into that area. You know, so yeah. they want they won't pretend like they hate them on one end, but uh, man, when it gets a chance to uh, uh, bolster their their stuff, you know, oh yeah, we love them. You know, come on here, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, the FBI, the FBI is building a billion-dollar campus in Huntsville. Yes, 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 and, and that's okay with me. You know, that's okay with me. I don't care. You know, I don't mm-hmm. care. But uh, uh, don't condemn them on one hand and then <laughs> sit there and woo them. You know, all you can to get the bucks. You know, right. Uh, but listen, y'all have a good afternoon. I know y'all about ready to go to the house. Uh, Hey Adam. Yes, sir. I uh, I uh, well, I don't know how to say this, but your but your last absence is under uh, uh, investigation, right? Now. <laughs> due process. We are going to use due process, and I did hear that uh, uh, it was your anniversary, so we will take that into consideration. Well, my wife sure would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she would. But look, y'all have a good day, and I enjoyed the show, man. All right, All right thanks, it. brother. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate that. Yeah, and I 100% agree with everything he said. Amazon's yeah. doing damage control. I yeah. think probably the right lawyers at Amazon uh, mm-hmm. figured out that somebody made an oopsie because mm-hmm. uh, they probably were never supposed to fire Jennifer. Uh but as much as they wanted to, I'm mm-hmm. sure they had been advised not to, and they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a good point that Joe made, uh, and that's worth pulling out that, yes, her being a high-profile union organizer put a target on her back, mm-hmm. uh, but it also right. got her reinstated. Yeah. So there is, you know, that's, the, that's kind of the risk-reward 
uh, right. situation that you get into when you are organizing on the job, you are taking risk and you are putting a bullseye on your back, but you're also growing your power. Uh, and so, yes, you may take more hits, but you can sustain more hits uh, and you can hit back. And so that's just, you know, I think that that is very important. I'm glad he mentioned that about the Jennifer Bates situation. Yeah. Yeah, agree. And, uh, and, and, but, you know, while it is, it's important to mention that, that yes, not everybody at Amazon would get that sort of protection. That is the sort of protection that would be, um, uh, uh, gained by everybody if they were able to, to unionize and, and get a good contract. Right. Yeah. Because if, if you had a good contract, a union contract in place, there would be some due process from the get go. All right. Which would minimize the amount of bogus terminations of employees mm -hmm. and then when said terminations take place there would be a process and capacity to actually undo those that are found to be problematic uh, so I, I think that is just one of the, the most core values mm -hmm. and, and benefits of a union contract is that due yeah. process having some stability uh, and requiring the employer to be responsible enough yeah. to demonstrate when an employee should be terminated or dismissed. Yeah. And it's some and it's a value that we take so seriously that um, that we are giving Adam due process even after uh, two uh, two you know days of being tardy and one missed day altogether. So you know That's there's, right. there's gonna be a full full due process here. That's right, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll take uh, I'll take uh, letters of support. <laughs> <laughs> Send you letters of support. <laughs> All right, I'll put folks. it in my file. There we go. There we go. All right, folks. We're going to head out of here. Uh, it's been a little bit longer, but I've enjoyed it. Thanks for all the calls, everybody. If you want to call in again next week or, or leave us a voicemail, please feel free to do so. 844-899-8857. I really enjoyed talking to y'all. So uh, y'all have a good one. We're going to head out of here. Uh, see you next week. Bye. Solidarity, y'all.